Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host as always, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic, Gary. I've spent the last few days in the Swiss Alps, um, which was delightful and very rejuvenating. Now, I was doing some work over there, meeting some friends, doing whatever. Uh, It wasn't just a a holiday. Well, it was kind of, um, but it did leave me very, very rejuvenated because while I do love London, I also grew up halfway up a mountain. Um, so I love being up the mountains. And I do have to say, uh, stuff like my resting heart rate and my HRV all improved in Switzerland. Now, you could argue, oh, it's a little bit less stress, a little bit whatever, because I'm basically on a holiday. Um, but I actually think it was just the air quality, to be honest, because London, the air quality isn't fantastic. Like being on the tube, I think there was a study of like being on the tube, one of the lines, I can't remember what it was, and it was equivalent of like smoking a cigarette uh, for like 20 minutes on the tube, which was obviously not great. Um, so yeah, that's that's my life in a nutshell. How are you, Gary? I, I believe you are getting older. That's one of the things that uh, is going on in your life. And just like yes, us all. Celebrated my 28th birthday yesterday. Really, really starting to push on now. And uh, yeah, otherwise all is, is going well. I'm on geriatrics at the moment my final rotation of placement until i'm done so exams up soon and uh yeah looking forward to it so patty mentioned stress there and that is the topic of today's discussion in particular what we're going to be talking about is the role of supplementation in stress management stress reduction and again it's going to sound fairly similar to the sleep podcast or sleep supplementation podcast in that we're going to start by emphasizing that lifestyle lifestyle changes understanding your stress understanding the difference between stress and anxiety and other factors are really far more important than considering any supplement um, because if you don't know why you're stressed if you don't know what it means to be stressed and, and whether that's different to some other psychological phenomenon you might just be wasting your money on supplementation. So that's the purpose of today. Yeah, 100%. So Gary, what actually is stress? Because when someone said, come up to you, like, you like we get clients all the time and they're like, okay, I'm under a lot of stress. And when people say stress, they mean something different than what say science would say stress. Because in, in a scientific, you know, place uh institution or whatever you might have scientists doctors medicine peoples uh going oh this is a stress or a stressor and when they're talking about that they could be talking about that in a good context like a a u stress which we might define now in a second um and that can be a little bit counterintuitive to someone that's like "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second i thought stress was bad because whenever i hear someone say oh i'm stressed where I'm under a lot of stress, it's always in a negative context. It's always in the context of what would be called in the literature, I suppose, as de-stress or de-stress, you know? No, I shouldn't say de-stress because that sounds like I'm saying D-E, stress, distress as in D-I, stress. So what's going on there, Gary? Yeah, so stress is, is an interesting thing to think about because we we can speak about it generally and specifically. And I think most of the time we're considering general stressors and how they influence us as opposed to specific stressors although we do discuss specific stress as well 
we often just don't realize that we're doing so. So firstly, thinking about stress, I think one of the best concepts of understanding stress across the psychological and biological sciences is understanding the concept of what's referred to as allostatic load. So allostatic load is is often uh, described in terms of being a quantification of your more general stressor. So your allostatic load would be compromised um, of, let's say, psychological stressors associated with, let's say, uh, finances and relationships, etc. But it's also uh, the result of the amount of work that you're doing each day in your job and the amount of physical activity that you have and even something like your underlying uh, physical health status. Because the, the, the important thing is that the, the allostatic load and thinking about the different stressors that you have, it needs to be thought of in relationship to your state. Because we know intuitively that all of us handle stressors differently. And that can be understood in a, in a really kind of simple context related to training in that 100 kilos of bench press resistance is handled differently by different individuals. That's a physical stressor, a biomechanical stressor on your muscles, okay? So that's obviously one type of stress. It's generally not what we're talking about when we talk about stress. Generally what people are talking about is the psychological manifestation of stress and then the physiological effect of that, okay? So it's generally the, the psychological um experience of stress that people want to mitigate okay because and also it's the negative because it's no yes. one ever goes like a stress you could have a, a good stressor like even stuff that people would say is like quite stressful they might go on like a, a roller coaster for example it's a stressor you know, oh my god but then you step off and you're like oh that was that was so fun you know but you recognize that that was a stressor that stressed your body out that caused a physiological response your heart rate went up you felt stress all the when it went down and everything you're like oh my god stress 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 but then you step off and you go huh, that was quite fun let's let's queue back up and let's do it again <laughs> you know no one ever wants to mitigate that no one ever wants to go oh let's just you know take a supplement to reduce that when we're talking about it it's always the negative psychological experience yeah absolutely because like i can think of examples of where there's a really fine line between this like stress and anxiety and that being a negative experience and the positive experience. And often what's what's somewhere around that line is what people often call the flow state. So when you're like really focused on something and you're being optimally challenged, so maybe you're being pushed slightly beyond your capacity, but it's just enough that you still feel you're able to take on this challenge, you're not totally overwhelmed, that actually feels really good. And I've had that experience when doing public speaking or a presentation, or even if you're in an exam and everything's going well. You know, that's actually a really positive experience in that, yeah, you're being challenged and you're stressed, but you have this experience where you're you're able to um, turn it into something positive because, oh, I prepared for the exam. I'm doing well. My results might be good. This is good. I feel comp competent. I'm in the right place. This is where I should be. Okay. So there's, if you were to analyze that individual, that's, let's say doing a presentation and everything's going well, they're having a positive psychological experience. But if you were to look at their cortisol levels, you were to look at their sympathetic nervous system activation and other physiological uh, biomarkers of, of stress activation, they would be in a physiologically stressed state. So it's something that can be very positive. So that's a, a really important thing out of the gate that we need to understand stress and even psychological stress as being something that, that can and absolutely is positive in many contexts. 
what people are trying to mitigate is when that becomes too much. And this is often when there's a gap between our ability to do something and what's required, for example. So that might be, let's say, if I have um, 40 hours of work to do per week and I have a family that I'm trying to look after and now one of those family members have gotten sick and there's a leak in the house and you've got bills to pay, that's just too much. It's overwhelming. My capacity right now is not at the level required for that task to be completed. And therefore, I feel overwhelmed. I feel stressed. It's a negative psychological experience. And even though my cortisol levels might look very similar in a blood test to the person that's giving a public presentation, the experience is very different. And also the chronicity is different in that if you're in that state of being financially stressed, for example, that could be a chronic low-level stressor that's ongoing for weeks, months, or even years. Whereas if you're the individual who's giving a, a presentation or maybe you're doing sort of, some sort of activity, that might be a stress that peaks for an hour and then it drops off and you recover. Okay, So the human, human physiology responds really well to short-term perturbations, and that's what allows us to adapt. But when those short-term perturbations um, are prolonged uh, for days, weeks, months, years, then we start to see things uh, become negative. And this is really important in terms of the way we speak about the sympathetic nervous system and the way we speak about cortisol, because these things are good and functional in the short term. But chronic overactivation of these systems is what can lead to harm when it comes to your health. Yeah, and that's really important to understand. And the way I very often teach it, and it's the way I teach it on uh, our nutrition certificate because there's a stress module in it. Um, the way I teach it is like, right, on the, I always get this fucked up, but the x-axis, sort of straight line here, you know, horizontal, we've got distress on one side. So that's negative stress, we'll say. And then you've got stress on the other side, right? So left hand here, it's distress. Right hand here, it's stress. right? You've got negative and positive. And that's really helpful to understand. You can go, okay, there's negative stress in terms of it's going to give a negative adaptation in terms of, you know, you're going to feel disrupted. You're going to feel, oh, like this is, this is bad. Right. And then there's a use stress, which, you know, it might feel bad at the time, but you go away from that, go, okay, well, I've actually adapted beyond that. Resistance training is a great example of this where during the resistance training session, uh, look, you're stressed. You're putting a stressor on the body. And then afterwards, it was enough. Well, presuming your training program is is good, it was enough where it, it's sufficiently challenging, but you can adapt to it, right? That's, again, very simple to understand, but it doesn't actually give you the full picture. So on the y-axis here, we've got hyper stress. So we'll say that's up north or upwards, right? Uh, and then we've got hypo stress, so downwards or south, right? This really, I find, helps understand and contextualize stress overall, because then you can go, okay, so I can have something that is uh, distress, right? Or it can cause distress, right? It's a, it's a negative, but it wasn't so extreme. It wasn't so intense where I couldn't recover, right? So it might be something that someone else who experiences it goes, oh, Jesus, that is way too much for me. My stress bucket, which is an analogy we often use, and we'll, we'll come back to explain that in a second. They're like, my stress bucket is far too full. I can't handle it right now. Right. So for them, that was up in the, the hyper stress. So way too much. Right. Whereas you can actually have hypo stress. So you can have too little stress, too little good stress. Again, that's that's easy enough to understand. Understand. Again, I'm, if I don't put enough like sufficient stress on my muscles, they're not going to adapt. 
right? I might be able to maintain, but if I put so little good stress on them, they're actually just going to atrophy. They're just going to get smaller, right? And this is the, the classic, like sitting on the beach, sipping pina coladas. Everyone wants to do it for two weeks. And then afterwards you're like, this is fucking shit, right? Like what the fuck is my life, right? You have hypo stress, like too little stress then. Now, maybe it's four weeks for you or maybe it's two months for you. But at some stage, all these people are always like, I need, I need to be challenged. I need something to challenge me because that's what, as humans, that's what we need, right? So what we're really trying to do when we're managing stress, and keep this in mind because obviously it applies to this uh, podcast that we're recording. What we're really trying to do is make sure that stress doesn't get too far into this distress category. And then also, ideally at the same time, put it so that it doesn't get too far up to the top on the, on the y-axis into this hyper stress. Ideally, we want to keep it somewhere in the region of to the right here in this U stress, right? Somewhere in the region of, yeah, it's a sufficient magnitude of stress. So the intensity is good enough and the stressor leads to a positive adaptation. And while you might feel stressed at the time, afterwards, you know, a day later, a week later, whatever it is, you go, well, actually, that was a really positive stressor. It really took me out of my comfort zone for sure, but I've now positively adapted to it, right? And again, the same goes for resistance training, cardio training, life, all of the things, right? Um, And I find that really helps to kind of put it all together. Now, obviously, it does help a little bit more if you have a visual representation of it rather than just me saying, you know, left, right, up, down. (laughs) Um, But what are your thoughts on that, Gary? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the key concept really is understanding the positive side of stress, understanding understanding there's, there's a sort of optimal zone of stimulation and optimal zone of adaptation. And that for us to move forward in life, we actually want to be within that zone. Sometimes you're going to move north, you know, you're going to be more stressed and it'll go into the hyper uh, part of that uh, spectrum. And sometimes maybe you need a little bit of recovery and you're more in the hypo stress side of things for a week or two. But over time, we want to be in an optimal level of stimulation, an optimal level of adaptation, and that requires some degree of stress. So the purpose really of understanding stress management and where that comes in is sort of enabling us to spend less time away from the optimal zone of stimulation. Because if there are interventions that allow us to stay in the optimal zone and you know get more tasks done, then that's fantastic. Because that means we don't end up pushing too far and burning the candle at both ends. So all of these things that we're going to discuss, discuss initially will be non-supplement related, and then we'll discuss some of the supplementation um, that might be useful. Because like these, these are some of these I use, some of these I don't. And I generally find that I'm better able to manage my stress. I have less anxiety associated with a stressful lifestyle when I have these things within my routine. So we'll go through some of those now. Yeah, just before we do that, just I think it makes sense to give a very quick hitter, like what is stress? Like, because <laughs> again, we, we've been saying it like, oh, stress, yeah, 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 nervous that, right? system, like endocrine, cortisol. What the fuck does that all mean? Give me it right, Gary. I'm going to jump out of your wardrobe now scared the fuck out of you that's a stressor you feel stress what happens yeah so what happens really is firstly your body i'm gonna say i'm like your brain but you you as a whole recognize that there is a stressor and there's a a general and a specific response to that so first and foremost 
you get activation at the level of the brain, okay? So the hypothalamus is sort of the first level here. So the cortical structures above the hypothalamus are important, but the hypothalamus is really what gets things going. So we get activation of what's referred to as the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, okay? And this is an axis in the sense that there's multiple different levels to the response, and there's also feedback um, from lower levels to higher levels. So at the top, we've got the hypothalamus, and then we've got the pituitary gland, and then we've got the adrenal gland. So where there, are, there are hormones released um, all the way down here. So you've got CRH or corticotropin releasing hormone from the hypothalamus, from the pituitary gland, then you've got adrenocorticotropin corticotropic releasing hormone, um, which is ACTH. Uh, and then you've got that acting on the adrenals to release uh, the mineral or corticoids and glucocorticoids. So primarily you've got uh, cortisol released here from HPA activation and that's your glucocorticoid, okay? So that's the strictly sort of endocrine side of things in that you get that, that level of ac activation from the top down. But in parallel to that, you've also got a sympathetic branch. Before we go into that, what's happening with that? When we're, why are we releasing cortisol? We're releasing cortisol because that's helping to mobilize energy. That's helping to mobilize fuel. You know, it does some other things along with that, but just think of it like that. Cortisol is going, or like a bear is chasing you, whatever. Cortisol ramps up so that you can mobilize stored fuel so that you can feel that kind of stressed out, wired, I'm ready to go, right? That's the reason why it's there to help you deal it's a it's a positive think of it like that it's a positive it's there to help you deal with what is going on whatever you have to do so i just jumped out of the wardrobe there ah, screaming at you you go whoa i need to mobilize some stored fuel i need to be re ready to react to this and cortisol is actually helping you to do that yeah and importantly that's also a a, a slow response when compared to the nervous system because that's something you need to understand with uh, biological signaling more generally is that hormonal means of signaling are slow nervous system means of signaling are fast very generally speaking okay because we it's have it's easy to understand because you're like right well hormones have to travel in the blood not always like there's you know they can travel cell to cell but anyway they're traveling in the blood your blood has to get around your body but your nervous system that's basically electricity yeah. Right. So do you want to transport something via a pipe in your house or do you want to via like or transport it via electricity? It's probably electricity. Exactly. And thankfully, we do have an electrical branch that allows us to move much quicker because while that court, while that cyst, that HPA activation is ongoing and cortisol is getting released and we gradually get that increase in blood glucose, we're getting the release of fatty acids. We're getting all our fuels mobilized so that we can uh, keep this stress response going immediately the sympathetic nervous system is going to be activated. So the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight aspect of our autonomic nervous system. So we activate this subconsciously, you know, it, it just does the job for us and gets what's going. So that fight or flight response um, involves uh, sympathetic uh, nerves and also the release then of noradrenaline, uh, which is, you know, it, people know intuitively that adrenaline sort of hypes you up and that's pretty much what it does so this sympathetic activation has a number of effects and pretty much you know most organs in the body but what it's going to do is it's going to increase our heart rate it's going to increase our blood pressure okay really good short term you can imagine not great long term um it also does things like dilate our eyes so that we can see more we can react really quickly um 
what else is to be there? Nervous system do it opens up your airways so that you can breathe faster. It again has some of those metabolic effects that are similar to uh, cortisol. It has effects on your skeletal muscle. Um, it has effects on constricting blood vessels within uh, your organs, your abdomen, for example, because we don't need we don't need blood flow to be deviated there when we're stressed. We actually want blood flow to be deviated peripherally to our muscles. So I want my muscles to be active and I want my brain to be active. I don't necessarily need to worry about, you know, digestion or reproduction right now. And again, you can think of why that might be of relevance to chronic stress, because if you're chronically stressed and uh, you've got chronic sympathetic nervous system activity, maybe you might have some uh, gastrointestinal upset. And that's something that we do see. Okay. So well, what you very often see in guys is what's often referred to as stimmy willy, uh, <laughs> where like people take like excess, excessive stimulants and all of a sudden they're like, why is my dick so small? Right? Vasoconstriction, like it's blood flow to your penis. So if you're literally got vasoconstriction, so your blood vessels are constricting, your penis is going to look smaller. You're probably not going to be able to get great boners as a result. Right. And you do see this people. The reason I bring it up is because it's very pertinent to the gym world because you see people going in going, oh yeah, I just slammed a monster. And then I'm having like two scoops of this Chinese fucking random pre-workout that I got that has all these banned ingredients, all these banned simulants in it. And they're like, yeah, this is, this is fucking great. Great for my workout. But then they find it harder to get a pump in the gym. Right. Makes sense. You're getting some sort of vasoconstriction, but then they also go, oh, I just need to, you know, pee during my workout and all of a sudden they look down they're like what the fuck happened there <laughs> why, why is my why is my little uh willy even smaller <laughs> um but yeah just brought that in because i always have to uh bring these crude bits like of in vulgar but yeah no, the way to actually remember the way the the penis works as it relates to the autonomic nervous system is point and shoot so p and s okay so the parasympathetic parasympathetic activation is what actually gives you your erection in the first place. And then it's the sympathetic nervous system that contributes to ejaculation. So again, it's actually a really nice example to illustrate that these systems need to be working in concert. We actually want both of these systems. It's not about activating just one. Okay. So there also, you just, just as an aside, this is also why if you're under a lot of stress, people will suffer from like premature ejaculation. They're like, Oh, I find it hard to get hard and stay hard. But I also find it very easy to just ejaculate in three seconds. Again, it's all related. It's all related. So there you go. Uh, there are some of the effects of the sympathetic nervous system. There, there are far more. But more. But what you really need to understand is, like, f from a functional perspective, what would I if I was to if I was God and I was designing a stress system? What would I want? Would I want to? Uh, to be able to see quicker and to be able to react quicker? Yeah, sure. Would I be able, would, would I want to be able to fuel my muscles? Yeah, absolutely. Would I want to be able to increase my heart rate, increase my blood pressure, breathe better? Yeah, absolutely. That all sounds good. Do I want to prioritize digestion right now? Uh, not really. What about reproduction? Uh, not really. Okay. So you can see that all these things serve a purpose. Uh, so it's pretty intuitive when you break it down like that, really. So that's the most of the stress response you need to be aware of. 100%. And look, this is how like evolution works. And it's really important to understand that we've evolved to deal with acute stressors, right? We've evolved to deal with, oh, shit there's a bear i need to sprint and run and hopefully i'm not the slowest person <laughs> uh that's that's it right acute stressor cool i'm back at camp i can relax now right chill out what we generally deal with a lot more in the modern age is chronic stress right so you wake up in the morning you have your dose of caffeine which is a stressor which that is getting that sympathetic nervous system activated and then you go into work you're like oh fuck i'm driving in traffic i'm stressed already 
I woke up with this blaring alarm after getting six hours of sleep. Now I have to sit in this eight hour, nine hour, oftentimes uh, job, which I hate, stress, stress, stress. And then you come home, don't get enough sleep, stress, right? And then you repeat it the next day and the next day and the next day, right? So it's that chronic stress that often gets to people, right? It's rarely the acute stress. Now, acute stress does, we often see that, you know, especially in the, fitness realm like you see someone do a fucking marathon that was just underprepared for the marathon and as a result that excessive amount of acute stressor really just wipes them out or if someone goes in and does a new personal record in the gym a, a new one rep max or whatever it is or oftentimes like powerlifting i know like shane has a lot of powerlifters they'll do their powerlifting competition and yes there's some chronic stress built up some fatigue built up from the training but that is a lot of that is actually washed away beforehand because they've done a a peak deload into it whatever um but then on the day like people say they've done their powerlifting competition and yeah it's uh, oftentimes an all-day event they're like man i slept for like 15 hours last night you know <laughs> it took me a week to recover from actually maxing out you know it took actually months to recover from actually maxing out because that was such a big acute stressor but that's very often not what people are dealing with what people are very often dealing with is chronic stress right and we very often use the analogy of like a stress bucket so you have to carry this bucket around right and you fill that with stress right now ideally you want a nice bucket that you know it's it's a good capacity so it can hold a lot you're strong enough to hold it but then also you don't want to fill it up too much right so what we're trying to do and this is really important moving on the discussion into like, how do we manage this stuff? What we're trying to do is empty that bucket every so often. So get rid of the stressors or at least reduce the quantity of them. And that could be the intensity as well, you know? And then ideally, we also want to make sure that we are getting stronger, right? So we're able to handle the bucket. Even if there is more stress in it, we're more resilient to that stressor, you know? That's what we want to do. That's optimal adaptation, right? Um, so we often use that analogy of a stress bucket, not really pertinent to, the, well, it is pertinent to the discussion, but it's not necessary to understand this stuff. I just said it earlier on, so I wanted to uh, mm -hmm. actually finish it off. But what really matters to this discussion, because then we can move on to stress supplements, is basic stress management practices. Gary, walk us through these. Yeah, so first and foremost, you start with your basic healthy habits. And I know this is boring, but this actually has like demonstrated empirical research to support its efficacy in allowing people to adapt better to stress and handle stressors better and also physiological effects in terms of modulating those systems that we discussed previously so that includes exercising okay so regular exercise in accordance with the guidelines obviously we've discussed exercise's role as being a stressor so if you're doing far too much you're going to overload that stress bucket and that's going to leave you with less of the capacity to do other things but if you have a relatively healthy exercise routine that's regular that's going to allow you to adapt to stressors better and to handle stressors better and you've probably experienced that yourself i know i have when i if i have a few days where i'm you know haven't been very active i i just feel like i have this brewing sort of anxiety or stress that's that's just there waiting to be released and i know that manifests differently for different people but generally i'm i'm way better functioning in terms of my ability to handle stress adapt to stress when i'm exercising regularly the same thing goes for nutrition. Okay, so generally eating a high quality diet, of course, but then also not undernourishing yourself. Okay, so sometimes you might be you might be eating a really healthy diet or it's what seems like a healthy diet, like you know, you're having 
plenty of fruits and vegetables and you're eating your, your lean meats and sources of protein, etc. But you might be at a 50% calorie deficit and starving yourself. And that's going to reduce your capacity to adapt to stress as well. So if you're dieting too aggressively, that's something we would put kind of within that stress bucket. And people will find that for sure when they diet for a long period of time they start to get a bit of a temper. You know, they're not really, they're, the line is that bit thinner. Uh, people cross it much quicker. You just feel like you're a bit agitated. Okay, so that's quite common when people are very aggressively dieting. Um, now on the opposite. Sorry, you interrupt, go on. No, go on. Yeah, you also see it when people are eating too much. Like yeah. it's a stressor on their digestive system and they're just like, oh, like I just I just can't handle an extra thing. I just have to, I have to get my meal. It's just, it's a burden to them, you know? So very often we do see it more so on the eating too little side of things, but anyone who's, you know, tried to eat 5,000 calories plus regularly will tell you that it is just, if not more of a stress <laughs> than having to eat too few calories. Absolutely. And then beyond diet and nutrition as well, you've got your sleep. Okay. So this is very intuitive for anyone that's had a poor night of sleep. You're just not able to handle stress as well. You're more tired, you're more irritable, you're more agitated. And important, importantly, any work that you do is just not going to be as productive. Okay, so you're not as productive. You're not as as useful, as competent if you're chronically sleep deprived. So it's just uh, not a good basis on which to apply quite a bit of stress. So you need to sleep well, aiming for your seven to nine hours per night for most people. Some people get away with less. Some people might need a little bit more, but generally within that sweet spot. Meditation and breath work is another thing that can help people. And obviously, there are various kind of related practices to this. You know, it might be something like uh, yoga or different forms of, of yoga or tai chi, etc. It might be uh, prayer as part of a religious tradition. Any form of sort of time that you're taking to be present with yourself or with God or with others is something that can contribute here to uh, managing your stress. Okay. So there, there can be mechanisms specific to the breath, for example, just controlling your breath and calming down. Hyperventilation is something you see when people are very anxious. Um, so that might be something that's a very specific effect on the physiological level, but there also might be, you know, psychological and spiritual effects that are um, modifying how you feel uh, there as well. So that's something that can be quite helpful. Now, just on that, it doesn't have to be like, woo woo like oh, oh, it's part of a religious tradition or it's part of you know this new age whatever like it can literally be i'm going to do something like i personally i find box breathing to be really effective where i was just like okay i'm just going to breathe in for five seconds hold that breath for five seconds breathe out for five seconds hold that lack of breath for five seconds and do a few cycles of that like there's nothing i'm not trying to focus on any specific words i'm not trying to focus on like oh i'm going to ignore my thoughts i'm going to you know do whatever all i'm doing is focusing on the breathing you know, and like stuff like that, again, can be phenomenal for stress management, but it doesn't have to look like that. It could be something else. And this is where I think, like, especially when you say like meditation, people kind of go, all right, yeah, yeah, I can move on to the next one. See you later. But I would argue that like we both do it. Jujitsu, that's a moving meditation. You know, I'm like, I'm completely detaching from my thinking. Like I do jujitsu at the end of the day. And I'm like, okay, the reason I do it then is because it allows me to stop thinking about all the stuff that I have been doing, all the work that I've been doing throughout the day, et cetera, et cetera. And I can just go in and go, okay, look, I'm actually just going to connect with my body. I'm going to connect. I'm going to have a good time with the, the other guys here. And I'm nice and relaxed after that, even though you could argue that that is a stressor in and of itself. And obviously 
it can be if I'm not well fueled for it, I'm doing it excessively, an excessive amount, I get injured, whatever. But that is meditation as well for some people. Yeah, and if you're focused specifically on stress, you sort of need to figure out what works for you as well. And um, because there are exceptions all the time, and like a lot of people don't like meditation. Some people absolutely swear by it, you know. And, and there are some people for whom it just mightn't be appropriate. If you've got a a history of you know trauma, post traumatic stress disorder, for example, some forms of, of mindfulness meditation and some of the cues that these different apps will give you might just like bring up your trauma and it mightn't be a good thing at all for you. So um, obviously if you're on that side of the spectrum, you consider discussing with a psychologist, for example, but uh, yeah, just find what works for you when it comes to those, let's say contemplative practices. So next up then is something like journaling. This is something that a lot of people find really helpful. And what you're trying to do here really, or, or, or the way that I, I'll start by discussing the way I find to be most helpful when it comes to journaling not necessarily a, a formal elaborate journaling practice, but rather at the end of the day, I might still have residual stress. I'm thinking about what's going on tomorrow, what's going on during the week, what I've got to do, what I didn't get done today, etc. I'll just write down tomorrow the priorities for the day. What are the things that are outstanding? If there are any thoughts on my mind, I might write write those down as well so that it's almost like a brain dump where I've taken everything that's inside here, put it down on the page, and now I can go to bed knowing that I don't have to keep those things stewing in my mind because they're there in the morning for me when I wake up. So that's just the way I do it. I know some people have specific journals that they buy um, and it might be, I don't know, different things that they're grateful for or uh, different uh, quotes that they like to repeat to themselves, whatever it happens to be. But a lot of people do find some sort of journaling practice to be quite helpful, particularly if there's, you know, recurring thoughts or problems that you constantly have in your mind. Sometimes getting them down on paper can do the world of good. Yeah, from my understanding of the research, there's basically three different aspects of journaling that seems to be really good for stress. The first one is uh, organizational stress is actually one of the biggest forms of stress in people's lives. And this could be like your job, it's just inefficient, your life is inefficient, you're not well organized, you're not well planned out. So using that journaling time to go, okay, well, what do I have to do tomorrow? Okay, this has to be done. Oh, actually, I forgot about this. I need to prioritize that. Doing that, again, can help with that organizational stress then there's the you know we'll, we'll call it the anti ang or the anxiolytic uh effect or the anti-anxiety effect of going right look i have all these thoughts that are just swirling around in my mind and half the time like they're not important thoughts but they're staying in your mind because your body's like well i don't have another mechanism to remember these unless i hyper fixate on them right so literally just Take them out of your mind and go, look, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll deal with that another day. You know, it's just written down. Half the time you might even go, that's actually not that important, but at least it's written down. You don't have to constantly have it stirring up and in your mind where you're like, oh, this is this is something to focus on because I, I don't want to forget it. Right. And then the final one is uh, having some sort of gratitude uh, or gratitude. Yeah, I suppose just gratitude is, is the best word to use for it. Um the reason that seems to be effective for stress is because we have a negative bias. Humans have a negative bias. I, I would argue that most animals have a negative bias because focusing on negative things is advantageous in an evolutionary sense, right? If you're like, these berries give me death <laughs> or they kill Terry or they give me diarrhea or whatever. Focusing on that negative 
is far more important for your survival rather than going like, oh yeah, these berries are good. They're nice and tasty. Like you're not going to ruminate on that. You've just given that, okay, that's a, a green tick beside it. Happy days. Oh, here's a big red X. Stay away from these. Focus on the negative. Really, really remember the negative. So evolutionarily, we've evolved to have that negative bias, right? So having some sort of gratitude in your life where you're going, okay, yeah, look, there's a load of negative things that I could be focusing on but I'm actually just going to take some time and actually focus on the good things. I'm actually just going to focus on the really positive things in my life that I'm actually grateful for. And it could be like a lot of people find this kind of more of a woo woo kind of, Oh yeah, whatever practice, but it actually can be really helpful for someone that has a, a, a more extreme form of this kind of negative bias where they never really sit down and go, look, this, this thing is actually going really well in my life or this thing I'm, I'm actually really, I'm really proud of this. I'm really proud that I've accomplished this or yeah, like I still have work to do, but I've been doing good. Give myself a nice pat on the back, et cetera. You know? So those seem to be the, the, the three like major things that journaling seems to give to people. And again, there's different journaling practices. You might journal and not even touch on any of those three. Uh, it might just be, you know, whatever, whatever way you want to do it. Um, and it might be positive for you, but they seem to be, at least from my interpretation of the research, they seem to be the three areas that, give the biggest return on investment when we're talking about stress management at least absolutely and a few of the final ones are fairly intuitive as well you know get out in nature uh again this is something that pretty much everyone has experienced psychologically but it's also something that's supported by the research having community and social support is really important that's both important in terms of just generally feeling less stressed and more secure but it's also important in the sense that if there are stressors that pop up that you've got people to help you out. You've got a support system in place. That's really, really important, especially at times of, you know, crisis. For example, if someone gets ill in the family and you've got to bring someone to the hospital, do you have other people to mind the kids at home or do you have people to mind your siblings, etc.? These things end up being really important. Hobbies as well is a really important way for people to manage their stress, particularly, I think, hobbies that can take you out of um, your work, for example, if that's your primary stressor. Like I know that you mentioned it already, but jujitsu for me is is one of the only activities where I find that my mind is able to shut off from work and shut off from study. If I'm in the gym, I find it a bit harder to switch off because it's just me and I have those periods between sets. Whereas when I'm doing jujitsu, I find that that's much better from a stress management perspective for me. Um, so again, different hobbies for different people. Some people like archery. Some people like to play musical instruments. Some people like reading. I love reading. So you, again, you just find what works for you to help you manage your stress. And then you've got things that are also really important, but not, uh, are kind of related to supplementation, but things that people don't often think about. And that would be actually maybe consuming less caffeine. So sometimes when we're going through these cycles of being quite stressed, we consume more caffeine to handle the stress. And that actually works well initially. You could actually make the argument that caffeine could reduce stress. Especially when sleep is poor. If you're like, all right, look, I just have a lot to do. I'm very stressed for that. And your sleep has been a bit poor because you, you struggled to get to sleep. And you're like, all right, I need to have two coffees tomorrow rather than my normal one or whatever it is. And that allows you to be more productive, allows you to overcome the lack of sleep. You could argue that that's a stress reliever because you can now got the work done. And then longer term, you can actually relax. Yeah, absolutely. And I've definitely had times where that's been really important. You know, if I've got a an important exam and I'm really, I really need to do another few hours of study in the evening, I'm already really tired and I have a coffee and I'm able to get through those few hours of study. You can make the case that initially reduces my stress, but it's important that I need to be able to then switch off after the exam the next day or get catch up on my sleep because what, what happens or where this goes wrong 
is when you just get into that cycle of more coffee, sleep quality is poor, feeling more stressed, more anxious all the time. So then you have more coffee to deal with that. And that's where things run awry. And similarly, then alcohol consumption. This, again, is very much related to stress. People get stressed. They have alcohol to try to bring themselves down a level. And then they feel you know, a bit groggy waking up the next morning. Then they end up more stressed. And they're less psychologically prepared for the day. Then they have more alcohol. And that cycle begins again. So ideally, if you can keep um, caffeine and alcohol uh, to a minimum, um, alcohol more so than caffeine, you, know, you can get away with a couple of cups of coffee a day without too much effect, really. Some people, if they're quite sensitive, it might impact their sleep and might increase their anxiety levels uh, quite a bit. Uh, but alcohol, if you have an alcohol every day to try to deal with stress, probably not wise. Okay. And then finally, and probably the most important in my view, I always say this when we discuss this is organize and plan your life. Okay. You have to get things in order. A lot of people are stressed because they don't have any order in their life. They don't have any organization. They don't know when they're doing what they're supposed to do. And they're simply not on top of their tasks. And if you're not delivering at work, if your exam results are really poor, you're not getting your workouts in, basically everything that you're you're obliging yourself to do, you're not getting it done. It's only normal that you would feel stressed or anxious as a result. And no supplement is going to take you away from that. Yeah. And look, that's maybe part of journaling for some people. Yeah. But I often do it and I do it with a lot of my clients. I've, I've done it with all of our staff as well, where it's like, let's actually just sit down and plan out the next three to five years. It's not going to go perfectly planned, not at all. But having some sort of plan is better than having no plan. And a lot of people, maybe through you know bad experiences in the past, they're like, oh, well, I don't want to stick to a schedule or I don't want to like be nailed to this exact plan of action. And that's not what a plan is for. It's supposed to be like loose guardrails. It's supposed to be like, this is the general direction that I'm heading in. Oh, what would be some good milestones along the way, for example, that I can measure things against? Okay, cool. How am I actually going to do that on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis? Are th- some things more time-sensitive than others? Am I prioritizing the right thing at the right time in my life? You know, because like you might be like, all right, cool. I have whatever four score years and twenty or whatever it is to get these shit, this shit done. But you might end up going, oh well, actually, I need to do this in my twenties, or I need to do this in my thirties, forties, fifties, or whatever. And you kind of can't do it the other way around, you know, like you can't get your, uh, I don't know, your interrailing experience, you know, when you're in your fifties. Yeah, you can go interrailing, you can go jump on a train or whatever, but it's not the same experience. There's certain things where if you miss them at that time point in your life, you've missed them. And the only way you know how to hit those targets at those various time points is to make sure that you're actually planning ahead. You're actually kind of thinking this stuff through. And you're not ending up in a position where, you know, you're like, oh, I'm actually really stressed because I hate my job and I never got to do X, whatever X was. You're like, I always wanted to do that. That was the the thing that I really wanted to do and I never got to do it. So you're always going to end up feeling stressed because you're always kind of like, well, maybe I'm not actually going to settle down into this job because maybe I might actually quit the job just so I can go out and do X. And then you're never actually fully committing to one path in life because again, you've never sat down and organized, planned out your life. You know, but anyway, we won't get onto that because what we're actually here to discuss, Gary, is supplements. So where the fuck do supplements fit into this? You know, we've been talking for quite a long time and we haven't even mentioned supplements. Well, we have a few times, but we haven't really dove into it or dived into it. Uh, so what's the story with supplements? Yeah, so you can think of supplements as uh, playing one of two roles here. Number one, they can increase your 
capacity for stress, for handling stress in the sense that you have a bigger stress bucket now. And then they could potentially just reduce your level of stress. So empty the bucket to some degree. So the first type of supplement might be something that maybe it, it, it gives you more energy. Maybe it, it hypes you up. It, it reduces, uh, well, it, they're very they're very closely related. Let's just say it hypes you up, gives you more energy, makes you more able to handle stress. Second type of supplement might make you feel a bit more calm. Okay, so maybe it doesn't, things don't feel as stressful anymore because you're more calm. Your heart rate response maybe isn't as great. Maybe you're not releasing quite as much cortisol. You're more psychologically focused. Okay, so the stress itself is different. So they're the two sort of mechanisms that you could potentially exploit. Now, very often when it comes to supplementation, we're, we're maybe somewhere in the middle there. Okay, it's not necessarily one or the other, uh, but a lot of them kind of lean towards more so reducing the sensation or the or the psychological experience of stress. You know, you can't really increase your capacity stress for stress all that much in the long term. You know, as in short-term things like caffeine, yeah, you can increase your capacity for stress on the day, but it often ends up having a trade-off then long-term. So that's the way I would conceptualize stress supplementation. Yeah, the way I always think of it is like you've got supplements or interventions or whatever that'll improve your resilience, right? Mm -hmm. So your capacity <clears throat> to handle various stressors, right? And then you've got other ones that potentially reduce stress, right? And most people focus on that reduce stress aspect, right? When in reality, it probably is more bang for your buck to focus on building a bigger gas tank or a bigger, you know, bucket in this kind of analogy. You're like, I'm actually more resilient to these stressors. And this is where you could start going, well, what are stress supplements? Like you could very much argue that like, any of the general health promoting supplements, like a multivitamin, for example, that could actually be a stress supplement like that could be a supplement that really helps with your stress and it could be doing that through two mechanisms it could be improving your overall health so you're just a healthier baseline right and as a result you just have more resilience to various stressors in your life you're just healthier right again think about the bucket if you've got this big bucket full of stress do you want to be the person that's really unhealthy frail you know low vitality or do you want to be the person that's like yeah i'm in peak health here right Obviously, you want to be peak health, right? So again, you could argue that any of these supplements that are helping you to get into peak health are stress supplements, right? Or anti-stress supplements, right? You could also argue that, okay, if I take a multivitamin, for example, that could actually be reducing my stress because it could be fixing a nutritional insufficiency or deficiency that I have, right? So that insufficiency was causing this kind of, you know, subclinical stress to the body, whatever it is. Let's say you're just, you know, I don't know, vitamin C intake is just not quite adequate, right? Which often happens in college students, for example, because they don't eat fruits and vegetables. Um, so for them, it's like they, they're not quite at the level of getting scurvy, but they're getting some kind of symptoms of poor uh, health as a result. So giving them some sort of like vitamin C or other minerals, vitamins, whatever that they're deficient in or insufficient in, you might actually be reducing their stress bucket. And as a result, or sorry, reducing the stress in their stress bucket, I should say. And as a result, they now have a bigger capacity to handle these other stressors because the bucket is in full and overflowing, right? So that's really important to understand because very often you'll see, oh, this is a specific, specific stress supplement, right? You take this when you're stressed when you probably get more bang for your book 
by doing all these baseline habits, like having good exercise, nutrition, sleep, training, everything, like all that kind of stuff, it's just in a good place. Then you start moving on to like, okay, are there any supplements that potentially could help with just generally improving my health? Like maybe a multivitamin, for example, right? And then you start going, okay, maybe now I need to look at an actual specific anti-stress supplement, right? Um, and Gary, are there any good, super effective anti-stress supplements? Yeah, so one of the, the supplements is uh, ashwagandha, which you probably have heard of. Um, it's probably one of the more popular uh, stress supplements that's sometimes used, sometimes used as well for uh, improving sleep, but it, it, it's through this mechanism, really. Um, so essentially what, what it's purported to do is reducing the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis activity that we mentioned previously. The idea would be that if you reduce that HPA activity, that that could then reduce uh, stress. So, you know, is this going to be a very large effect? It's kind of like all supplements we talk about. Probably not. There is some evidence to show that, you know, people... Um, can have stress reduction in response to that, and you can have changes in HPA activity. So there's probably something to it. Um, I've taken ashwagandha multiple times. I, I can't say I can't say there's a clear difference. Like for me, that I'm able to notice. Maybe it's something that would have an impact long term. But there does seem to be seem to be at least some very very small pockets of evidence there. Um, it's just not very strong in my view. To be honest, I actually, me personally, when I take it, I definitely know my DHT gets lower because I get all the symptoms of low DHT. So I often wonder, is it actually the like anti-cortisol effects of it? Or is it just a lack of like that kind of DHT that kind of like very often people have like when they have low DHT, they have this kind of like blunting of emotions. Like, you know, they're just an automaton. They're just like, I just don't care. Do whatever. So they're kind of dealing with their stress by virtue of, I just don't care. I'm not. I don't actually feel anything, you know. And I know I certainly get that. Um, at least I get those symptoms, and I've taken other things that potentially reduce DHT as well, and I get similar symptoms. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's a crossover here, right? Um, so ashwagandha, if it's effective for reducing stress. Let's just say it is. Let's just say it reduces your cortisol. That might not actually be something we want longer term. It might be good to take it when stress is very high, or maybe there's a, a leading period. Maybe it's like, I don't know, wait, a week, two weeks where it has to build up enough in the system, right? Maybe there's some efficacy then because you go, okay, well, I can deal with this, this stressor, but it's probably not a good idea longer term to be taking something that potentially blunts cortisol. Because we need a healthy amount of cortisol, a healthy uh, rhythm, a pulsatile rhythm to cortisol throughout the day. Like cortisol is what wakes you up in the morning. You know, it's like your cortisol starts to raise a little bit and then you start waking up. You know, that's the normal rhythm of cortisol uh, secretion, right? So we don't necessarily want to just blunt cortisol. You know, you don't want to just be like, I have no stress whatsoever, right? But maybe we could strategically use something like ashwagandha to go, okay, look, this is a very, very you know, stressful two weeks of my life, right? You know, maybe it's two weeks before exams, Gary, you got, oh, big exams coming up. Stress is just very high. I've got this going on. I've got X going on. Why? Oh, there's just so many different things. Maybe then you take it for the two weeks, a month maybe. But you should be cycling off it then. 
You know, you're supposed to use supplements to potentially, you know, empty the bucket a little bit and then go back to being able to carry that bucket. It's not something that you're like, I'm burning the candle at both ends. So maybe I can take a supplement to drip a little bit of wax extra. So I have a little bit extra to burn. You're still burning the candle at both ends, right? So you actually need to deal with that rather than just taking a supplement and hoping it fixes everything. Um, do you want to say on that, Gary? Nope. What's next? The next one, rhodiola, rhodiola uh, rosia, right? Said a load of different ways. It doesn't really matter, right? This is supposed to work very similarly in, ter- similarly in terms of it blunts cortisol release under stressful conditions. Now, that can be really effective for certain things like maybe, again, in a sporting context, you have, oh, this is a, an event. I, I know I have an event tomorrow as well. I don't want to get excessively hyped up for this one or there's an event later in the day. I can't let my stress levels get too high. Could be really good for that. But again, just like what I said, we don't necessarily want to just blunt cortisol as a, as a like, oh, that's what we're going to do, right? We need a healthy level of cortisol, right? So using something like rhodiola would be acute, strategic, right? Now, again, there might be some lead-in time, but I don't see why you would be taking these things longer term rather than just using them in, for a shorter period of time to get ahead of stress or, you know, helpful or help you deal with stress during a specific period of high stress, right? Um. Unless you have anything to say on that, I can move on. No, you can move on. Fantastic. Then the next one here is L-theanine, right? Which is often reported to have somewhat anxiolytic, so we'll say anxiety-reducing effects. And the reason we're putting this in in the stress supplement category, because anxiety isn't necessarily stress, right, is because oftentimes people aren't actually stressed, right? We've just done a whole podcast on stress. And oftentimes what people are actually experiencing is anxiety, right? And as a result, when they talk about stress supplements, very often they just talk about sedatives. They just talk about things that have some sort of sedative, sedative, yeah, that's right, uh, ability, right? Or properties, right? So they're actually, we'll call it medicating for anxiety rather than stress. The things they're taking are not, you know, improving your resilience they're not reducing the amount of stress that you're feeling because you're not actually under stress you just have high anxiety and this is very often the case you see people struggle to get to sleep right they're like oh look i can't get to sleep thoughts are whirling around in my mind but everything they describe is actually just a highly anxious state it's not actually a highly stressed state now having excess stress can tip you into a high anxiety straight like if you are someone that is predisposed to higher levels of anxiety yeah of course if you start hammering a load of stress there's going to be some off-target effects anxiety is going to be higher right but oftentimes people are actually describing anxiety when they mean or rather when they say they're talking about stress they're actually talking about anxiety and fixing anxiety and fixing stress two completely different things do you mind saying that Craig? Yeah, I think that's really important because like, I, I really do think that the psychological phenomenon that, you know, frustrates people most is anxiety and you, you do, supplementing your way out of it just it doesn't really work that well because there's often a, an identifiable cause um, for the anxiety that many of us deal with at least. And then, of course, there's uh, an element of anxiety that can become 
dysfunctional and impact with your social function, at which point, you know, you're kind of beyond the realm of supplementation then if you've got generalized anxiety disorder, for example. So anxiety is something that's really important to consider. And I think that going back to especially the organizational elements that we talked about, planning your life, journaling, et cetera, excuse me, all that can really help with um, modifying some of that anxiety. So people will often find that they put these sort of interventions in where they're a bit more organized, they're journaling now, and they have a massive reduction in stress. And in that case, I'm like, okay, you weren't necessarily overwhelmed with stress. You were just anxious because you were disorganized. Okay. And it is a little bit different. Okay. So just on that, because we're mentioning journal or you're mentioning journaling there is one of the things that I find most effective for really identifying whether you're dealing with just general stress or you're dealing with some sort of anxiety is if literally just writing down these things that you're anxious about, if that cures everything, stress levels probably weren't that high. It was probably the anxiety. Like it was probably anxiety that you have rather than high stress levels because you effectively quote unquote cured it. Now it's not obviously cured by literally just removing the anxiety of first of all, remembering these things. And then also you've removed some of the anxiety because now by writing them down, you've started the process of actually dealing with them. And I find that for most people really does reduce anxiety quite a lot. Like starting that process of going, okay, this is, I've identified the thing that's causing my anxiety and I've started actually working on that thing. And all of a sudden anxiety is like, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, otherwise are there other supplements? Yeah, there certainly are. You know, a lot of them we've probably discussed in the sleep podcast, you know, there's things like, like you can supplement with GABA and other means of having a higher level of inhibitory neurotransmission so anything that basically relaxes the nervous system down and calms you down is going to reduce that sensation of stress but but again it's very much modulating the anxiety side of things once again there are other things like a phenobut which can have like an alcohol-like effect for some people alcohol itself um various recreational drugs like cannabis cbd etc but again when you look at these things are they actually reducing your stress long-term or increasing capacity for handling stress? No, not really. They're just kind of blunting anxiety short-term and might actually be counterproductive longer-term if using them regularly. So again, understanding the role of targeted supplementation is important here. Like for example, if you have that response from ashwagandha where it's able to, where you feel more able to tolerate stressors over short periods of time, you could use that during that exam period like we mentioned previously. Uh, Personally, I don't put all that much weight in stress supplements. I find that the basic stress management practices that we mentioned, I often don't have those nailed down. So I'd rather work on those first because they have a much greater return on investment for me. Um, if you probably need- realistically given 95 plus percent yeah. of the benefits, you know, and for most people, that's enough, you know, for most people, you're not going to be able to just pop a pill and go, cool, I'm all done. You're going to have to do the other basic foundational habits Sleep has to be good, which again can be quite hard when stress is high, but it still has to be focused on. You have to exercise regularly. And again, most people will say, oh, but stress is so high, I can't exercise. And again, that's probably the time where you need to exercise the most. <laughs> uh, and then your nutrition has to be good, which again, most people, as soon as stress gets high, they're like, oh, I'll just get a Chinese on the way, or I'll just get an Indian, or I'll just get takeout or whatever, rather than eating good, high quality food that actually helps them, you know? For most people, if you get those three things, you really dial those in. Stress 
generally doesn't become too much of an issue. Now, obviously, that's a very uh, privileged uh, thought process to have because I'm not currently dealing with high stress. Um, but again, for most people, nailing those three things really, really does have profound impact. And I know that's not the like the glamorous, like, oh yeah, here, take this supplement, this random esoteric supplement that, uh, you know, here's the, here's the biochemical pathway that's potentially, you know, maybe it's been shown in rats to have this effect. Like, yeah, okay, that's glamorous, but it's not actually helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I don't think I have too much else to say on stress supplementation. Do you? No. Perfect. All right. So guys, if you want any help uh, with the nutrition and training process, of course, we do have coaching spaces available if you'd like to work with us. What we focus on really is that 95%, getting those basic stress management practices in place. I discuss those very frequently with my clients. It's very rare that we discuss stress supplementation, really, because what we're focused on is what works and also what isn't going to add an additional bill to the cost you're paying for coaching. <laughs> and that's the problem is that supplementation it's it's not free okay you also have to pay for it so that could potentially add to your stressors if they're financial in nature now sometimes it's not regulated like some of these things yeah. not only do they have no efficacy or you know good evidence for them they could also have other negative off-target effects either from that specific supplement or whatever other shit is in it that they're not telling you yeah absolutely <laughs> um, related i suppose to the supplementation topic as well and what you just mentioned we do have a nutrition certification course that people can get involved with if you want to go deep on nutrition science and the practice of nutrition coaching and become a qualified nutritionist you can join our course either by paying up front or paying a monthly payment plan to make it easier for you and at the end of that then you'll be able to help others with uh, managing their nutrition and hopefully managing their stress as well because a lot of this content is actually featured within our nutrition cert now, we do also have a lot of free content that we put out elsewhere. So make sure you subscribe to the Triage Method newsletter. Make sure you subscribe to Triage Method on Instagram. And also, if you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, make sure you subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to share it. And if you'd be so kind as to leave a rating and review, we'd also really appreciate that. So that's everything from us, and we'll see you soon. Enjoy.